you may not even notice the damage diabetes could be doing to your beautiful eyes. So take charge of your sight. Make eye care a priority and talk to an eye care professional today. Learn more at NowIC.com. Brought to you by Regeneron. Ever get homesick for anywhere but home? As you make your return to travel, let the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Card help you reach new destinations and find new appreciation for the places you know and love. Expand your world and go boundless with the Marriott Bonvoy Boundless Card. Learn more at MarriottBonvoy.com forward slash Chase Cards. Cards are issued by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. Free speech is under assault like never before. Freedom is under attack more now than ever before. Because radical doesn't mean crazy. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15. With the help of the media, big tech, and the global elite, the left is attempting to seize control of my generation. It's time to fight back. It's time to let freedom ring. Boy, here we are. It's a great Monday, November 8th, 2021. For those of you in and around the state of Georgia, I'll be at Wal- I'll be in Walton County tonight. I'll be in Walton County and I will be I will be speaking to the Walton County GOP. Uh, the address is 204 South Midland Ave, Monroe, Georgia. Come out and see me if you're in the area. I would love to meet every single one of you. Haven't spoken in about a month and a half, I guess it's been. It's been really great. But it's been a great week here in the state of Georgia. I got a chance to go to the UGA football game. Missouri is still one of the worst states in the college when it comes to football, though they do have one of the best senators and Josh Halley. Josh Halley is probably my favorite senator, if I had to be honest with you. But it's been a great week, and it really started with Aaron Rodgers really defying what the left has to say. Now, another another thing to, to, to wrap this up, okay, to start this, I should say, is a, a, an NFL player named Henry Ruggs, a 22-year-old Alabama, you know, produced by Alabama, looked to be one of the best young receivers in the league. Unfortunately, due to, due to no fault then other than his own, took the life of, of a woman and her dog uh, because he was driving drunk at 156 miles an hour throughout Las Vegas and ended up hitting her car, striking it. It became uh, engulfed in flames. She died of her injuries, and he's looking at 50 years in jail. Again, is this sad? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know what you're thinking. Noah, this has nothing to do with politics. Why do you keep talking about it? Well, just, just give me a second. No fault of his own. Or, only his fault, I should say. It's that he, I mean, dude's making a couple million dollars a year. He can afford an Uber. I don't care if the Uber's 200 bucks. You can afford it. Now, with that being said, the media coverage of this was almost non-existent when you take into comparison the media coverage of Aaron Rodgers. And now Aaron Rodgers, well, matter of fact, here we go. Uh, all right, so this brings us to one of our hot topics of the day, Aaron Rodgers. Now, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Points granted, I am a big uh, Green Bay Packers fan. I don't watch as much anymore. I plan. I watched the game last night against the Chiefs or yesterday afternoon against the Chiefs. Um, I'm a big Aaron Rodgers fan. You know, sometimes being a fan of Aaron Rodgers, it has brought me great stress because of what he says. Because uh, he's not a very conservative guy. And look, I think that most entertainers and athletes and everything really should just not talk about it. I mean, I have a political company. I shouldn't be out here telling you 
you know, what you should be eating for dinner. That's not my job. That's some cooker's job, I guess. My job is to bring you the news and to talk about it and to tell you how it affects you, me, your kids, your grandkids, and everybody moving forward. With that being said, I'm a big fan of the Green Bay Packers. I have been for as long as I can remember. And when I saw that Aaron Rodgers had tested positive for COVID, my first thoughts were, I hope he's okay. My second thoughts were, well, there goes my fantasy team. But some players, and then he came, went on to the Pat McAfee show with some clips we'll play in a little bit, uh, a little bit later on, and he was completely dismantling the left's uh, notion. But let's watch this one, uh, this one fan of the Green Bay Packers talk about his uh, opinions on Aaron Rodgers' vaccination status. And I got to tell you, I am speechless. Seriously, this shit I did not expect. Aaron Rodgers confirms he's unvaccinated, has taken ivermectin in first comments after testing positive for COVID-19. What the fuck, man? Seriously? Horse dewormer, Aaron? Where'd you hear that, from Joe Rogan? Yeah, actually, yes. He took advice from Joe Rogan. My quarterback that I respected so highly. And you don't respect him anymore because he took advice uh, from what something like 200 members of Congress also did with taking ivermectin when they got found, when they were uh, tested positive for COVID-19. Um, this is really interesting to me because, again, you know, his personal medical choices are his own, as yours are your own, as mine are my own. I'm not vaccinated. I've gotten COVID, and now I have the best immunity uh, that, you know, there is to offer. That's what uh, the Israel studies have shown. In fact, Aaron Rodgers has, has even said that. But let's, let's continue watching what this guy says. Took advice from Joe Rogan for COVID-19. I am so fucking disappointed, man. Not just at Aaron Rodgers, but the Green Bay Packers organization. I mean, y'all knew that he wasn't vaccinated. Y'all knew that he was taking horse dewormer. I I hope y'all didn't. But I think it is a NFL policy that the players have to tell you if they're vaccinated or not. So y'all definitely knew that he wasn't vaccinated. I don't know if you knew if he was taking horse dewormer or not. I, I really hope you didn't know that one of your multi-million, over a hundred million dollar player was taking horse dewormer. Are you serious? Aaron Rodgers, if you ever see this, which you won't, but if you do, I'm really disappointed, man. Like, you beat Jeopardy like two or three times. I thought you were smart. I thought you were smarter than that. You know who was smart was the person who developed ivermectin, and they won a Nobel Prize, a Nobel Prize in medicine because of that. Listen, look, I don't know this guy. This guy may be smart. I'm not sure what this guy does. All I know is that this guy is clearly watching uh, that news network that's based out of Atlanta, Georgia. I think you can guess which one that is. Look, Aaron Rodgers' private medical decisions are his business. Quite frankly, it is. Um, but that's not really what's getting him into trouble. What's getting him into trouble is what else he said, which we'll get into in just one second. Now, again, before we get into this, one of the biggest things I've had about by, about um, Aaron Rodgers is that he's been very liberal. And, again, you know, I just don't necessarily want to see my quarterback talking, obviously being wrong on a lot of issues. Uh, but I think this is actually what's purely getting him into the most amount of trouble with the mainstream media. Sharing of, of information. It was such a witch hunt. They, they wanted to out and shame and denigrate every single person who didn't immediately say, oh, yeah, I got the, you know, Pfizer, I got the Moderna, whatever. 
I, I wanted it to go away. I mean, everyone in the squad knew I was not vaccinated. Everyone in the organization knew I wasn't vaccinated. I wasn't hiding from anybody. I was trying to minimize and mitigate having to have this conversation that would go on and on. And, and, and there were people in the media who somehow found out about it and, and been sitting on it for a couple months. Um, so it wasn't like this thing was just hidden until this week. Like, people knew it and they sat on it. At some point, I knew I was going to have to discuss it. And, you know, I was ready to discuss it. But the problem with this is it is so political. And health should not be political. It shouldn't be that, you know, Trump endorsed ivermectin and HCQ. And so take that shit off. It doesn't work. You know, I mean, in, in general, look at I think we all should have been a little hesitant when Trump in 2020 was championing these uh, vaccines that were coming so quick. What did the left say? And I'm talking about every member of the left. Don't trust the vaccine. Don't get the vaccine. You're going to die from the vaccine. And then what happened? Biden wins and everything flips. Shouldn't that initially give you a little bit of pause and go, hold on a second. Isn't this shit about health and not about like politics? And to that point, has any member of the health staff this entire time got up and actually talked about real health? Have they talked about exercise, a healthy diet, like eating real food, drinking water, taking vitamins, vitamin D deficiency, and, and what that causes in the body? No. There hasn't been any of that. I think he gets into a really good point. I think it's really funny. Uh, my friend Cernovich pointed this out over the weekend, that people who eat processed foods sit for 10, 15 hours a day drinking you know, soda and eating chips are want to want to comment on somebody who is at the top, uh, the top level of the top of his sport for the last 15, 20 years. Talk about his health decisions. He's probably in the top 1% of healthiest people in the world because of what he has to do with his body. But he gets into a very interesting point, and that point being... What about when Biden said that this thing shouldn't be trusted or Kamala Harris, the, the, the borders are when they said they didn't want to get vaccinated because it was a Trump thing and Trump, you know, obviously couldn't develop a great vaccine. When they said that it was completely okay. It was fine. And see, Aaron Rodgers goes on to say, as I think he says in this clip here, that just because that the right will love him and the left will hate him, but he doesn't care about that, which, you know, most people don't, and that's a place I wish I could get to. But the matter of fact is that he is crushing CNN and MSNBC because more people, I think, listen to Aaron Rodgers and Joe Rogan and say, hey, maybe if the top athlete, one of the top athletes in the world, for the past 15 years, says this ivermectin may be good. Maybe it's good. Hey, maybe if one of the healthiest people in the world, and Joe Rogan also, says that, you know, maybe you shouldn't get vaccinated, maybe you should get ivermectin, maybe you should. But that's the big thing, is that Aaron Rodgers is not succumbing to the left. Aaron Rodgers is not becoming Colin Kaepernick. Aaron Rodgers is not succumbing to the left. He's not saying whatever CNN or MSNBC is saying. But what he is saying is to make your own choice. He never once said, don't get the vaccine. That's not what he said at all. But that's what they're construing it as. Aaron Rodgers was dropped by a healthcare company as their top spokesman because he said, don't get the vaccine. Just saying. Let's keep watching. So, hey, so I'm just, 
look, I'm going to critically think about what's best for my own health. I'm not judging anybody else. I'm not saying you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. But I'm making the decision that's based on what's best for me and my own health. And for me, it was a no-brainer. You said the league knew of your situation and everything, obviously. I'm 40 hour, 48 hours in, and I consulted with a now good friend of mine, Joe Rogan, after he got COVID, and I've been doing a lot of the stuff that he recommended in his podcasts and, you know, on the phone to me, and I'm going to have the best immunity possible now based on the 2.5 million person study from Israel that the people who get COVID and recover have the most robust immunity. And I'm thankful for people like Joe stepping up and using their voice. I'm thankful for my medical squad. Um, and I'm thankful for all the love and support I've gotten. But I've been taking monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, zinc, vitamin C and D, HCQ, and I feel pretty incredible. Okay, so you said a lot there. I believe strongly in bodily autonomy and the ability to make choices for your body, not to have to acquiesce to some woke culture or crazed, you know, group of individuals who say you have to do something. Health is not a one-size-fits-all for everybody. And for me, it involved a lot of study in the off-season, much like the study I put into Host and Jeopardy or the weekly study I put into playing in the game. I put a lot of time and energy and research and met with a lot of different people in the medical field to get the most information about the vaccines before making a decision. So this guy right here that you're looking at, this guy right here, he is absolutely, he is ruining the left. And because of that, a Wisconsin healthcare organization has ended a nine-year partnership with Aaron Rodgers after he detailed his reasons for avoiding the three vaccines. By Previa Health, they said the company mutually agreed to end their partnership effective Saturday. Previa Health and Rogers have been partners since 2012. The statement Previa Health said, Previa Health remains deeply committed to protecting its patients, staff, and providers and communities amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. This includes encouraging and helping all eligible populations become vaccinated against COVID-19 to prevent the virus from further significantly impacting lives and livelihoods. Guys, this is not about health. If this was about health, Aaron Rodgers would be promoted to the top of this issue. This is about control. Bottom up, up, top down control over you and your health decisions. Look, I am a Packers fan, and I, for one, am finally proud for Aaron Rodgers to be my quarterback. So I hope that you will stand up and help to defend the truth uh, by subscribing. Just keep that in mind. Apparently what Aaron Rodgers is doing is worse than what Henry Ruggs did. Now, with that being in mind, I, w- I want to talk about what's going on in Kenosha or what's going on with the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. And I'm going to play this clip right here. Of the folks that were involved in this running, as we've seen in many other videos, is Mr. Rittenhouse is uh, in front, Mr. Rosenbaum is running after him, and you are behind Mr. Rosenbaum. Is that fair to say? Uh, yes. How far back from Mr. Rosenbaum were you as the three, as, as the the pursuit went through the car source parking lot? Um, well, it's hard to say because I kind of caught up to them. Um, I was running a bit faster. And so uh, at the time, initially, I was probably 30 feet back when the first, when everybody first started running. But then 
by the time I arrived in the lot, I was 15 feet. And you continue to be behind Mr. Rosenbaum at the time that the defendant shot and killed him, correct? Um, I did alter my trajectory a little bit um, when I saw Mr. Rittenhouse turn around and saw Mr. Rosenbaum um, lunging for the front portion of the rifle. Okay. Let me stop you there for a second. Let me stop you there because what you're saying does not add up with what I want you to say. Because he just said that he saw the victim go forward to try to grab the rifle. He saw the victim... Uh, I really shouldn't even say the victim. He saw somebody lunge towards the rifle. And then Kyle Rittenhouse defended himself, defended his livelihood, and is alive now because of it. This should not even be... There, there should be... There, there is no case here. I'm not even a lawyer and I know that. I'm pre-law in school, but I'm not even a lawyer and I know that there is no case for that the prosecution of Kyle Rittenhouse is nothing more than political it's not if Keith Ellison was not the attorney general no wait no that's Minnesota listen this is a political case because they want to lock Kyle Rittenhouse is a political prisoner he's a political prisoner because he dared dared to try to defend his uh, a community that he's close to that he lives by he tried to protect it because they don't want men and women like you and I to protect their loved ones and their livelihoods they don't want it to now what else is going on well don't worry about this because Jen Psaki, even though she has out with COVID and, you know, fortunately prayers for her. Seriously. I pray that she gets through this. Okay. I don't want any harm to come upon Jen Psaki. You know, I disagree with her. I think she may be absolutely stupid, but at the same time, you know, I don't want her to die from COVID. Uh, but her replacement or her temporary interim press secretary, boy, oh boy, listen to what she just said in Virginia and around the country, uh, given Republicans repeatedly focusing on critical race theory. So, look, America, as you heard the president say before, is a great country. Uh, and, uh, and great countries are honest, right? They have to be honest with themselves about the history, which is good, and, and the bad. And our kids should be proud to be Americans after learning that history. Uh, the president certainly, certainly is. Uh, fundamentally, we believe a school's curriculum isn't a federal decision. It's rightly up to communities around the country, the parents, the school, uh, the school board, the teachers, and the administrators. And that means that politicians should be dict dictating, should not be uh, dictating what our kids are being taught. But we also need to be honest here uh, about what's going on here. Republicans are lying. They're not being honest. They're not being truthful about where we stand. And they're, and they're cynically trying to use our kids as a political football. They're talking about our kids when it's, when it's election season, but they won't vote for, for them when it matters. You know, Republicans did not vote for the American Rescue Plan. The American Rescue Plan, in that plan, it had funding to make sure that schools were open. 
to make sure that our kids got back to school. And they didn't vote for that. And that was a key component of the American Rescue Plan. We know how important it is to make sure that our kids have in-person learning for their mental well-being and also so that they can actually learn. And so that is something that the Republicans refused, absolutely refused uh, to vote for. So we got to be honest here, and they're not being honest. They're being incredibly dishonest. Steve? It's always funny to hear Democrats say that, we, that the Republicans are being honest. Look, there's so much that she just said there that is absolutely not true. I mean, saying that Republicans, <laughs> Republicans in a way, are trying to keep kids from being in the classrooms, that's the complete opposite. Saying that Republicans are using this as a football, a political football. No, the left is using this as a political football. And when you want to use this as a political football, guess what happens? Virginia happens. You almost lose New Jersey. One of the worst governors, Phil Murphy. But let's dissect critical race theory. I don't know if we'll be able to get to all the segments I wanted to, but I really want to dissect critical race theory. I'm going to give you the eight problems with critical race theory right here. But first, go over to BuiltBar.com, B-U-I-L-T.com, promo code Let Freedom Ring. Got to say that. Got to make money. Critical Number one, critical race theory believes that racism is present in every, every aspect of life, every relationship, and every interaction. Critical race theory begins from the assumption that racism is an ordinary part of every aspect of life in our societies. Foundational critical race theory scholars, Richard Delgado and Gene Stefanik, write, quote, first, that racism is ordinary, not aberrational. Normal science, the usual way society does business, the common everyday experience of most people of, of color in this country. That's written on page seven of the standard introductory textbook on the subject titled, quote, critical race theory, an introduction. Now, these, these scholars list the assumption first among, quote, the basic tenets of r- critical race theory. In the introduction of their book, understand also that what they mean by racism isn't what most people mean by racism. It's not prejudice based on upon race or believing that some races are superior to, or inferior to others, which is, you know, what you and I would consider to be racism. What they mean is, instead, it's a system. Oh, it's a system of everything that happens in the social world and beyond that results in any disparity that works in favor of racially privileged groups on average or any racially oppressed person claiming they experience racial oppression. Here's my question. If Democrats truly believe that the system, meaning the government, the judicial system, the Department of Justice, the criminal justice system, all these systems are racist, why do you want to grow government? Doesn't that mean you want to grow the system that is impressing people? These assumptions lead people who take up critical race theory to look for racism in everything, everything, until they find it. That is, after all, the job of a critical theorist or activist to look for these hidden problems that they assume must be present in whatever they scrutinize. Number two, something called interest convergence, meaning that white people only give black people opportunities and freedom when it is also in their own interest. One of the founders of critical race theory, a now-deceased scholar at Harvard Law named Derek Bell, made his, quote, interest convergence thesis central to the theory, turning to Delgado and Stefanik again. The second feature, sometimes called interest convergence, or material determinism, adds a further dimension because racism advances the interests of both white elites materially and working-class people physically, psychically. A large segment of society have little incentive to eradicate it, For example, Derek Bell's shocking proposal discussed in a later chapter that Brown v. Board of Education considered a great triumph of civil rights litigation 
may have resulted more from the self-interest of elitist whites than a desire to help blacks. You're right, because us making us try, you know, conservative trying to say that you have a right to ride on a school bus, a public school bus, and go to a public school, and you can't be you can't be segregated against because you're white or black or Asian or whatever, that is actually the benefit of white people. Now, it isn't hard to see how paranoid and cynical this idea is, but it's also horrible when you pause to consider some of its implications. Take the demand that also comes from CRT that everyone should be an anti-racist. This sounds good on the surface. Who wouldn't want to be an anti-racist? If someone with racial privilege, including white, Asian, Hispanic, Arab, Indian, and lighter-skinned black people, decided to become an anti-racist in accordance with this request, the entrance convergence thesis would say they only did so to make themselves look good, protect others from criticism, or to avoid confronting their own racism. This isn't a fringe idea. The interest convergence thesis makes it literally impossible for anyone with any racial privilege, again, as outlined by critical race theory, to do anything right because anything they do right must also have been self-interested. If critical race theory makes a demand of people with any form of radical privilege and they comply, they must take themselves more complicit in racism as critical race theory sees it. By giving people no way out, critical race theory becomes deeply manipulative and unable to be satisfied. Critical race theory is also against free societies. Now, believe it or not, believe it or not, critical race theory is not a liberal idea. It is, in fact, critical of liberal societies. And what they mean by that is liberal societies mean free societies. Critical race theory sees a free society as a way to structure and maintain inequities by convincing racial minorities not to want to do or not to want to do racial identity politics. Since critical race theory exists specifically to agitate for or enable radical racial identity politics, it is therefore against free societies and how they are organized. Back to Delgado and Stefansik, a critical stance about these free societies and their norms is again central to critical race theory. Critical race, they said, quote, critical race scholars are discontent with liberalism as a framework for addressing America's racial problems. Many liberals believe in color, blindness, and neutral principles of constitutional law. Number four, critical race theory only treats race issues as socially constructed groups, so there are no individuals in critical race theory. Critical race theory isn't just against free societies. It's against the individualism that enables them. But it doesn't believe individuals meaningfully exist at all. You're either oppressed or you're not. Every person has to be understood in terms of the social groups they are said to inhabit. And these are determined by their identity, including race. A third theme of critical race theory, this is a quote, the social construction thesis holds that race and races are are products of social thoughts and relations, not objective, inherent, or fixed. They can correspond to no biological or genetic reality. Rather, races are categories that society invents, manipulates, or retires when convenient. Number five, critical race theory believes science, reason, evidence are a, quote, white way of knowing that storytelling and lived experience are a black alternative. Now, remember what I just said. When Delgado and Stefanik said that normal science is a part of everyday ordinary racism of our societies, that's because critical race theory is not particularly friendly to science, residing somewhere between generally disinterested in science and openly hostile to it, often depending on the circumstances. This is because CRT, using that, quote, social construction thesis we talked about, believes that the power and politics of cultural groups make their way intrinsically into everything the culture produces. Thus, science is just politics 
by other means, critical race theory. Guys, critical race theory is terrible. But number six, critical race theory rejects all potential alternatives like colorblindness as forms of racism. You know, when somebody says, oh, I don't see color. No, too bad. You're racist. Critical race theory is completely, completely against the common sense idea that race becomes less socially relevant and racism is therefore diminished by not focusing on race all the time. Where liberalism spent centuries removing social significance from racial categories once it had been introduced in the 16th century, critical race theory inserts itself again, can, uh, front and center. In fact, as you might guess now, it sees the idea of colorblindness as one of the most racist things possible because it hides the real racism from view. While colorblindness sounds good in theory, in practice it is highly, highly problematic, they say. This is a quote, colorblind or formal conceptions of equality expressed in rules that insist only on treatment that it is the same across the board can thus remedy only the most blatant forms of discrimination, such as mortgage redlining or the refusal to hire a black PhD rather than a white high school dropout that do stand out to attract our attention. Again, that's a direct quote. Now, but number seven, critical race theory acts like anyone who disagrees with it must do so for racist and white supremacist reasons, even if those people are black. I have a good friend, Bryson Gray, sings a lot of number one songs. Let's go, Brandon. Donald Trump is your president. Good, another good friend, Mikel Crump, Chandler Crump, two brothers who I respect a lot. Osiga Kiku, all of these leading black conservatives who are trying to get people to go off what they call the plantation that is the Democratic Party. And every time they do, because they don't follow the social construction thesis pointed out by these two white liberals, they're the Uncle Toms. They're the ones who don't believe what the left is saying, as, as nobody should. But what I said in point number four, critical race theory has outlined what the essential experience of each racial group is. It then judges individual people, especially of minority races, on how well they give testimony to that experience. Which is to say they judge individual people based on how well they support critical race theory. This makes it impossible to disagree with critical race theory, even if you're a minority. Now before we get to discuss the case of how impossible disagreement is for white people and other racially privileged people, consider a, a poignant example. The black superstar music con musician Kanye West donned a Make America Great Again hat and said he thinks it for himself. He's a free thinker. In response, the poet laureate of the critical race theory, Ta Nahizi Coates, wrote a widely read article suggesting that West is no longer really black. The black musician, Daryl Davis, who is the most famous for, taking, for talking hundreds of real white supremacists out of the Ku Klux Klan hoods, once tried to invite a conversation of this sort in 2019 and members of the nominally, nominally anti-fascist quote-unquote group Antifa called him a white supremacist for being willing to associate with rather than fight or kill the people he invited to have a conversation. This phenomenon can be explained as Nicole Hannah-Jones created the New York Times magazine, magazine The 1619 Project, a critical race theory historiography, tweeted and then deleted that there is quote racially black on one hand and politically black on the other. Critical race theory is only interested in the identity politics associated with being politically black, and anyone who disagrees with critical race theory, even if racially black, does not qualify. The common way to phrase this is that they are not really black. This means that in critical race theory, diversity, which it calls for often, must be only skin deep. Everyone's politics must agree, and must agree with critical race theory. This is obviously much worse problem for white people or others who have said to be, quote, racially privileged, 
because these there are more concepts in critical race theory to deal with specifically with how and why white people are racist for disagreeing with critical race theory than perhaps any other one. Charles Mills claims that all whites take take part in a racial contract to support white supremacy that is never discussed, but just kind of a part of the social fabric. Barbara Applebaum says all white people, all white people have white complicity with white supremacy because they have automatically benefited from white privilege and white ignorance which is a way for them to willing, willfully refuse to engage and proper engagement can only be proven by agreeing. Robert D'Angelo says white people enjoy, quote, white comfort and therefore suffer from white fragility that prevents them from confronting their racism through critical race theory. Therefore, she says, anything that maintains white comfort should be considered suspect and in need of disrupting. Allison Bailey claims that when racially privileged people disagree with critical race theory, they're engaging in a defensive mode called privilege-preserving epistemic pushback, which means that they are just arguing to keep their privilege and could not possibly have legitimate disagreements. All of these ideas implicate the racially privileged people in racism anytime they disagree with critical race theory. Now, number eight, critical race theory cannot be satisfied. We've already seen how critical race theory cannot be disagreed with, even by black people. We've also seen how it rejects all alternatives and how it believes any success that is that it has comes down to interest convergence, as we spoke about earlier. Because it rejects science, it cannot be falsified or proven wrong by evidence. And because it assumes racism is prevalent, present and relevant to all situations and interactions, even the accept of acceptance of critical race theory must somehow also contain racism. Therefore, critical race theory cannot be satisfied. It is, in this way, like a black hole. No matter how much you give to it, it cannot be filled and only gets stronger. And it will tear apart anything that gets too close to it. This means that if your workshop workplace takes up critical race theory, eventually activists will start to make demands and will threaten to make trouble if they do not get their way. They usually do not ask. If you give in to them, you will not satisfy them, however, because critical race theory cannot be satisfied. They want more. Now, this is a grim but fair description of critical race theory that I just gave. What's worse, it's not even complete. There are other horrible ideas that I just can't get to. But it's important that we really... Get to the bottom of this. Now I want to play this clip from Senator Ted Cruz. Point. Not only do they not believe what they're saying, but their hypocrisy is rampant. Headed to this climate conference, these officials flew in giant jets. John Kerry has a private jet that has flown dozens of times this past year all around the country. I don't know about you, but I don't have a private jet. I don't believe any of the people on this stage have their own private jet. Portman does, yeah. <laughs> John Kerry, when asked about his private jet, said, really, for someone like me, it's the only way that makes sense to travel. What dripping, condescending arrogance. You know, when we travel, Let's I'm in the exit row on Southwest Airlines. Let's land this jet, Ted. <laughs> that hypocrisy demonstrates they don't mean what they're saying. You want jobs, you want to protect the environment, you want abundant, low-cost energy. Now, I sometimes break Reagan's 11th commandment, which is don't harm fellow conservatives. Look, if you have a private jet, you shouldn't be serving in Congress. I don't care. You do not represent the average person in America if you can afford a private jet. That, that's for Republicans and Democrats. I don't care. We need more working class people. I saw a political ad from, uh, from a guy running in Pennsylvania who is literally a biker. I think we need more people like Edward Durr 
who have who, who spent one hundred fifty three dollars and beat uh, the president pro tem of of a senate. That's that's what I think we need. But anyway, that might just be because I'm populist. But it gets to the point of the issue: rules for thee, but not for me. Rules for thee, but not for me. Guys, the left is coming for you. Donald Trump said it best. They're not, they weren't coming for him. He was just standing in the way. They're not coming for him. They're coming for you. He's just in the way. And they will bully anyone who doesn't get on board with them. Listen to what they said to Joe Manchin. Now this took place in West Virginia and many or sorry, this took place in Washington DC. And what many people are asking is how many of you are from West Virginia? How many people from West Virginia are, are going to DC just to harass their senator? Look, if Joe Manchin's not gonna agree with you, this is not gonna make him agree with you. Joe Manchin needs to hold the line. I don't think he's gonna switch to the Republican Party, but he needs to hold the line. He's the only Democrat who can win in, in plus thirty Republican West Virginia. I wish he would switch to the Republican Party, but it's just not gonna happen. So with that being said, come back tomorrow and see me on the next episode. Hey, Noah here. I wanted to take a second because I realized I don't know if you know who I am. So I like to take the last few minutes of every single show to tell you who I am. I mean, you're turning to the dial right now. You know, you may have no, have no idea who I am. My name is Noah Ring. I'm foremost the, uh, the, the most prominent college conservative activist in the country. Uh, I got my start a couple of years ago. Uh, in 2016-ish, you know, working uh, to try to help uh, Donald Trump get elected. Since then, uh, obviously, I've grown up a little bit since 2016. I was only 15 in 2016 when Donald Trump was elected to be the president of the United States. And I spent four years defending Donald Trump's uh, America First policy, defending him in the classroom. I uh, have kind of tokened that, that I, I fight for conservatism and Trump in the classroom. So that's what I've done for the last four years. I've fought... Donald Trump against radical left-wing professors, students, administrators, everyone. I also helped to defend many students across this country. Look, a lot of people weren't lucky like me and lived in a very conservative school district, and a lot of people are afraid that if they speak out against their radical professors or their radical teachers or principals or whoever, that they will be ridiculed, and they'll be grade docked, which if you don't know what grade docking is, it's when they drop your grade uh, simply because they don't like you, simply because in this case, you support Donald Trump, you support uh, pro-life, pro-gun, and you are for America first. With that being said, I am a contributor with Campus Reform, meaning whenever I find some story that of uh, some teacher doing absolutely crazy work or some college being overly, overly biased, I report on it because that is important. The, the future of America is right is in college right now. My generation will decide what happens. Gen X is overwhelmingly conservative. The millennial generation is overwhelmingly liberal. My generation will be the biggest thing because I saw a statistic a couple of years ago that by the 2028 election, my generation will be the biggest voting block in the country. And I don't know about you, but I want to live under a Republican-led country led by the conservative ideals of limited government, limited 
uh, our personal responsibility, limited government, and liberty. That is what the Founding Fathers guaranteed to us, and that's what I want to live by. So every Monday, I'm right here, 8 to 10 a.m., whether you're listening to this uh, on the radio or you're listening to this on the internet live stream, I'm right here. If you ever have any questions at all, you can email me, noah at noahring.org. That's my personal email. I check that too many times a day, honestly. Uh, You can also text me at 912-254-4838, 912-254-4838. But what I really seek to do with this podcast, with this radio show, is I seek to give my generation what is needed for them to fight back against the radical left on college campuses because I've seen firsthand what happens when one-party rule comes to these college campuses. You think can't you think California's bad? Wait until you step foot on a college campus because at least in California, you have the protections of the Constitution of the United States. At college, you don't have those protections. So that's, what I, that's who I am. That's what I'm doing. And that's why I... And I appreciate you the American people, the great people of America listening and giving me this platform to be able to speak to you for, you know, roughly two hours a day, which my sixth grade teachers told me that I'd never make anything in my life talking so much, but look who has proved her wrong. Now, with that being said, make sure that you come back tomorrow at 8 a.m., 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. every single morning. We have great guests on all the time. We've interviewed uh, former Secretary of the Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. We've interviewed Marjorie Taylor Greene, Mike Collins, uh, Congressman Gary Graves. We've interviewed all these people. We've interviewed senators, congressmen, governors, uh, all these people who candidates as well, and just interesting people. We had on a guy named uh, Alejandro who used to be a member of Antifa and now and Black Lives Matter, and now he is one of the biggest people fighting back against those very organizations. So we have on great guests all the time, and we bring you the news that nobody else is going to bring you. You're not going to find these headlines on Fox News because I have a lot of I have a lot of people throughout the country who are looking for stories uh, that are happening in high schools and colleges and even even really some corporations. And Fox News doesn't cover those for whatever reason, so I guess I have to do that. So I hope that you will tune back in tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. as we take on the left one more time. I don't know how long I'll have this platform. I don't know how long I'll be on social media, but we will take on the left one more time tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., ending at 10 a.m. So it's perfect for your morning commute. And also, if you can't listen to this live, you know, some people are busy, whatever. I do typically upload the first hour, first 40 or so minutes of the first hour to the podcast, which you can find at noahring.org. But thank you so much for tuning in today, and we will see you on the other side.